Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that your words will be spoken here today as we continue to, to learn from your word about the power of our words, God. I pray that um, I would speak your words today, God. I pray that I pray that no one would be confused by the speaker and that your words would be true and strong and clear. And I pray again that your presence would be here with us and open our hearts, open our minds. In your name, amen. So I think probably everybody, most everybody knows that um, Heather and my family have been affected by... um, our kids having some physical things that we didn't plan on, right? I think everybody knows that. You've heard my story about that. That's not what this is about. But so for two of our children, we found out either while Heather was pregnant or right after that, um, that they had a neurological condition. And there's been different times in our lives where that's been a bit overwhelming. Uh, We haven't always handled it with grace. We haven't always handled it with faith. And there are times where we have both felt overwhelmed. Uh, Probably the most stressful, I think, at least for me, was a week that we spent with Lydia when she was, I don't know, three weeks old, I think. Two weeks old. And we spent a week in Syracuse in the hospital with her. um, And they didn't know what was going on. She's going to talk through this whole story. And they thought she was having serious seizures. She wasn't. We know that now. But it, they just didn't know what was going on. They still, don't, they still don't know what was going on during that time. And um, during that time, we also found out that she has the same condition that my oldest has. And we were a little crushed. We knew what that meant. We knew what work that meant. We knew what hardship that was going to mean. And we were not remembering necessarily how faithful God had been. We were just thinking about how hard that was to hear again, especially after doctors had looked her over and said, we don't think she has. We don't think she has what he has for them to come back and say, well, it does look like she does. So um, in that kind of moment, most of us humans do certain things, unless you're really, really good, unless you're really on top of your game, right? Um, We question God. I know that I did. I said, God, how could this happen? God, is this a punishment for something that I've done? Is this happening because of something I've done? Um, God, why can't we have a normal family like everyone else? You know, there is no normal family out there. But when you don't have a normal family, you think everybody else has it easy and good. I know that's not the case, but that's how it feels. And during this time, especially during that time with Lydia, everybody was kind of hearing about it because we were in the, I was out of work for a week. We were in the hospital for four or five days. And so everybody was hearing about it. And there were words of encouragement coming in. But it's kind of a blur during that time. You're not sleeping. You know, you're hearing the same words over and over again. You know, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Um, and I don't blame anybody for not knowing what to say. I don't know what to say to people in those situations either. It's not an easy, it's not an easy thing. But it was during one of those weeks where we were at our absolute darkest when a wise woman named Alice Moore said something to Heather that changed things for us. It it turned things around for us. And this is what she said. She says that God made your kids exactly how he planned. You know, doctors talk about malformations and they talk about physical delays and they talk about 
sensory overload and they talk about eye nystagmus and uncontrolled movements, but God made them exactly how he planned to make them. And who really defines what normal is anyway? Um, but God was going to use trials and hardships in my kids' lives early. And they're in the midst of it. They're in the midst of it. But he's shaping them to become someone. And whether I knew that or not, I probably know things like that. But when Alice Moore said that to us at exactly the right moment, God used that. It had a supernatural power because it changed what we were thinking. It got us out of that dark, dark place and turned it around for us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Last week, we talked about the power of words, and we mainly talked about how they can cut people down. We talked about complaining. We talked about gossiping. We talked about arguing. Today, I want to talk about how do you speak life? How do you say something at just the right time to the right person? We're going to be in Proverbs a lot today. So just so you know, you don't have to open there yet. But Proverbs 15.23 says this, Joy is to a man in the answer of his mouth, and a word in its season. How good! Another passage in Proverbs from 20, Proverbs 25.11 says, Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken, spoken in the right circumstances. That's exactly what those words Alice said to us were. They were a beautiful thing. They were exactly at the right time. They were a joy to our hearts. Um, words said at just the right time, I think everybody here hopefully has had an experience with that. Somebody has said something to you at just the right time in your life, whether it was a pastor or a parent or a teacher, a coach, could have been any of those. And you remember it for the rest of your life. They probably don't. They're like, oh, that's great. I'm glad I said that to you. They may not remember something that actually changed your life. There's been words spoken throughout history to people who have changed other people's lives. And it's just a statement. It's just something that made something clear at the right moment. Um, so that is the potential power of everyone in this room's words. That's what I want to get across first thing. You, too, can say the exact right thing at the exact right time. And we're gonna, I'm going to try to show you today from the Scripture how to do that. Because I think most of us know that everyone around you is much better at criticizing you, at pointing out your faults, at gossiping about you, and complaining about everything. We're much better at that. I'm much better at all those things than I am at saying just the right thing to you when you need to hear it. So we're in the second week in this series about the power of the tongue, the power of our words. All throughout Scripture, yeah, and uh, you do have your notes today. I, they are message notes today. I'm sorry, they, you can follow along a little bit. The Scripture references will be there. I have a lot of Scripture today, so um, you can follow along through there. Um, there's this constant theme throughout Scripture about the power of words. We talked last week about it started with God literally spoke creation into, into being, right? There was power in those words. Shortly thereafter, Satan used the power of his words to convince Eve to commit the first sin. Adam and Eve to commit the first sin. There were power in those words too, and they changed the course of history. We've seen words that cause wars. 
We have seen words that bring down empires. But most of us have seen words that destroy relationships, that destroy homes, that destroy churches. God has used words to bring about life, and the enemy has shortly thereafter used words to bring about death. And that's not going to change. We should all be aware of that. Satan is using words against you. God can use words for you. We know in the end God wins, but in the meantime, we're in a spiritual battle. And a lot of that has to do with what comes out of our mouths. So we learned, like we did last week, we learned several areas. And I'm just going to hit them quickly so we remember the power of these words. One of them to bring about death is gossip. I'm not going to go there very long, but I'll just read you some more verses from last week. Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. It's nice how when you're, when you're preaching out of Proverbs, you don't have to explain that very much. I think everybody understands that. A perverse person stirs up conflict. Somebody who wants to just churn up everybody around them, and a gossip can separate friends. I think we've all seen that. Gossip keeps us focused on ourselves, keeps us sort of in self-preservation mode because we can't trust the people around us when they're gossiping about us or when we're gossiping about them. Proverbs 17.4 says this, A wicked person listens to deceitful lips, and a liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. So not only is spreading gossip harmful to us and those around us, listening to gossip is destructive to us as well. Neither of these things are good. Romans 1.29 says this, they have, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, and it goes on. So we as a church, and I think the church as a whole, at least in this country, We've kind of ignored gossiping and complaining as a sin. I talked about that last week. It's one of those that nobody ever confronts. You can have a rampant gossip in a church, and it, for some reason, nobody will confront them about it. But you can have somebody who's going into a divorce, and everyone will confront them about it, as if they are two different scales of sin. God takes both of those very seriously. God hates gossip. God hates those who are slanderous. He puts them in the same as murderers and God-haters. He takes it seriously. The tongue, by itself, without any harnessing on it, is restless. It's often evil all by itself. I think everyone here could probably give an example of a time they've said something and been like, boy, that was awful, and I have no idea where that just came from. Or you just said something that was awful, and you're like, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? How, how could I say something like that? Turn, if you would, to James 3. Now, we hit, we hit James 3 last week, but we're going we're gonna to get a little more in-depth here for a minute with James 3, verses 5 through 8. And it gives, it gives this great example. And James is being as strong as he can be to draw your attention to the fact that your words have power and that the tongue left to itself tends to be evil. Here's what it says. Picking up in verse 5, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. 
Consider what a great forest is set on fire by just a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of, wor- all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He's being as strong as he can be. He's speaking to a group of believers whose tongues are running rampant. So he's saying, look out. Look out for the words that are coming out of your mouth. It's a red flag. It's a big flashing sign of stop and look, danger ahead. If something's coming out of your mouth, don't just accept that there's nothing else going on. If something's coming out, you need to examine what's going on in your life. It matters to God. We established that last week. I'm not going to go back to all those references again, but it matters to God what comes out of our mouths. And it matters to those around you what comes out of your mouth. I hope we know that. In this culture, a lot of times we're told, you got to just say what you feel. You know, you just got to be able to say whatever you want to say. That's, that's literally just us all legitimizing the fact that our tongues just spit poison all the time, and it's okay. I need to be able to just get it out, say what I need to say. I've got friends who are good Christians, but when they get angry, they get to turn off the whole I am a Christian thing. Well, I got angry, so I said. And I got angry, and, and then I did. Yeah, that's not how it works. You don't just get to turn off doing the right thing because you're angry. But our mouths often do that. Proverbs 12.18 says, A rash speaker is like piercings of a sword, and the tongue of the wise is healing. I've been around people whose words are kind of like being pierced by a sword. I don't know about you, where everything they say is kind of like a barb. But I have been around people who, it feels like you're being healed around them. Their words are wise. They're attractive to us. We want to be around those kind of people. Your words are often what non-believers use to judge if it's worth looking into the whole Christian thing, right? When they hear your words and you say you're a Christian, they often use those to say, why would I want to be a Christian? Or, boy, they've got something different, right? They've got something going on. I want to be like that. But if they watch us tear us down, tear each other down, they're often pretty confused because that's not what we preach. We don't preach that we should tear each other down, but we often do. The people in this church and the people that are your brothers and sisters in Christ are worth protecting. Do you believe that? That they're actually worth protecting. You know, the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. Right? So, I, I don't take it very seriously when people say bad things about me. Either, either it's become too normal for everybody to say bad things about me, or I just, when people gossip about me, I don't know why. I just don't, I, it doesn't bother me. Unless it's like a good friend, then it, oh, obviously it would bother me. But most people, just like, boy, they have too much time on their hands. I, don't, I just don't care. But, but if I hear that you gossiped about my wife, you might see a different side of Jeremy than you've ever seen before. That's, that's a different story, right? 
And how much different is it for Jesus and his bride, which is the church? That's us. He takes it seriously when we're gossiping about each other, when we're cutting each other down. These people are worth protecting. Those people around you who are your brothers and sisters are worth protecting. They're worth bringing up. I think sometimes we, we get so focused on behavior and so focused on everybody has to be just this that we forget that we're just as much a sinner as everybody else around us and our jobs aren't to point that out. Our jobs are to try to encourage. Our jobs are to try to intervene with love. Alice Moore intervened with love. She didn't say everything's going to be all right. She didn't say everything was going to be easy. She didn't say God's going to just take care of everything for you and it's just going to be great. She just said they are who he meant them to be. Those are, they were hard words and comforting words to us. So James 1.26 says this, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. I don't need to get into this. I think, I think we all know Christians whose religious beliefs are worthless, and we know it because of the rain they do not have on their tongues, the words that come out of their mouths. We tend to ignore them. They tend to be televangelists or they tend to be that guy at church who we all know is living one way, talks a different way, and we kind of ignore him. That's, it's, it makes it worthless if you don't have a rain on your tongue. So God is warning us. Look at what comes out of your mouth. He's not just warning you to say, you know, shame, shame, don't say that. Shame, shame, don't say that. He's not saying it's sin, sin, sin. He's actually giving you a warning. This is how you can tell what's going on in your life. Your words are a good indicator. They're a tool that can be used to say, this is what's in the heart. We learned last week also about complaining, and we'll, I'll, I'll leave it with this. We looked at that great picture in the Old Testament where the Israelites just complained and they, they complained and they complained and they complained about everything. Even though God was leading them through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud, for goodness sake, and feeding them from heaven. They were being fed from heaven and led by a pillar of cloud. You don't have to ask for much more than that. God's presence was near their camp. And yet they complained about everything. And Moses is up on the mountain and he hears it again. God says, I hear those complaints again. Moses, just move over just a little bit because I'm going to incinerate them. I'm going to take them from the face of the earth. That's how seriously he was taking complaints. Now, Moses said, you know, he, he asked him not to do it, obviously. Don't kill them. I know they're stubborn. I know they're awful. He didn't. But that's how seriously God takes complaining. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's a tough one. Do everything without complaining is really what that's saying. Most of us, I have a problem with complaining. I've realized that certainly through this week as I've been working on that homework. Maybe I don't say it all out loud, but inside my head, the words in my head are often a complaint. Why does it have to be like this? Why do I have to do this? I don't want to do this. Blah, blah, you know, it's just constant complaining. We know people, and maybe we are people, who if they aren't gossiping, arguing, complaining, or cutting someone else down, they don't actually have any words left. Right? If you took all their words away, if, if that was, that, that's all they do. That's how they cope with this world. Now granted, this world is tough. This world is hard. But some of us just cope with it by 
complaining and by talking about everybody else's, what they're doing wrong. All right, so I hope everyone believes that there are power in words. I'm not, if you don't believe that, you're not going to get the rest of the message. But I spend a message and a half trying to convince you that there is power in your words. So I'm going to leave it at that. Why does God take your words so seriously? Proverbs 14, 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Luke 6, 45, in the same sort of vein here. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If all you're putting in is, is that gobbledygook we've been talking about, that's what's going to come out. That's why when we get angry, the true person comes out, right? Right? Because that was what we were putting in. That's why it's so important to God. God cares about your heart. God loves you. He has a plan for you. And he wants you to be able to use your words as a way to know what's going on. He wants you to be a soul winner. He wants you to be an encourager, a leader. And the, and the only way to do that is to put the right words into your hearts. So that when trials come up and the real you has to come out, the real you is bringing words out that he's put in that are right. There are plenty of people that love to give good advice. Anybody know somebody who gives a lot of advice that you don't really want to hear? I, I know. Maybe I'm that person to you guys, right? <laughs> um, there are people who just like to hear themselves talk. And their words, sometimes they sound really good. We have people that we go to for advice and their words sound really good. They make a lot of sense. But if they aren't God's words, I just I encourage you to find some other counsel. There's plenty of people who can talk and talk and it sounds really good. But if it's not God's words, it is no good. It's foolishness. It won't do anything in your life. Ecclesiastes 9.17 says this, The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of of a ruler of fools. Anybody know a ruler of fools? Anybody know a person who everybody follows who's really just a ruler of fools? Maybe you don't. I think, I think maybe we see that more in the media than anything else. We see somebody who is leading around foolishly and people follow. The quiet words of a wise person are more to be heeded. Ecclesiastes 10.12 Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. We just covered that. We know people who are consumed just hearing themselves talk. They're, they're, even when it's your turn to talk, you can tell they're thinking about what they're going to say next, right? They're not hearing anything you're saying. They're actually thinking about what you're going to say next. We all, I've, all, I've done that too. That's not just certain people. We all do that. So how can we discern what words to put in? If it's so important that the right words are going into our hearts, how do we figure that out? Is it difficult or is it simple? I'm hoping we're going to make it simple now. Proverbs 2, 6 through 11. I, I, let's turn to that one. Proverbs 2. I hope this is one of those ones that somebody today marks in their Bible like, I need to go back to this one. Because this one is worth going back to. 
they're all worth going back to, but I hope somebody goes back to this and says, I'm curious about that, and reads the whole chapter. Proverbs 2, and I'm going to read 6 through 11. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of the faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Most of us spend our whole lives trying to figure out what the right thing is to do, what the right path is to do. Sometimes just to see how successful we can be at it. You know, sometimes we're actually looking, God, lead me, send me in the right direction, right? This, this passage, this awesome passage, just told you how to do it. It says, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That is the place we can look. Look at the benefits of going to the Lord for wisdom. He says, he will guard our course. He will protect us. We will gain understanding. Wisdom will enter our hearts and be pleasant to the soul. Does anybody here want that today? Do you ever crave that? I hope you do. Do you want more wisdom? Do you want to be able to handle situations better? Do you want to get out of the spiral that you often get in where the same thing happens and you respond the same way and it's not the right way and it happens again a month later and you respond exactly the same way and you're not making any progress? You're not gaining any wisdom? Seek it. I hope everybody here wants to seek it. This, this passage was profound for me this week because as I was preparing for this message, I had a, a lot of scripture. And you're seeing, we're going through a bunch. I had a lot of scripture and this, this set was not on my list. As I was studying, it wasn't there. And I struggle in my uh, messages with transitions when I'm speaking. I th probably everybody in some way knows that. Like in a, in a message, you're supposed to lay out the problem, give some solutions, and then help with understanding. And there's transitions in between each part of a message. And I struggle with that. It's sort of my immaturity as a speaker. I, I don't do it that well. And I know it. And so I've been praying about it a lot. God, how can I make this better? What am I missing? Why can't I, why can't I get this right? And when I came across this passage in Proverbs, I actually just like stopped and got on my knees and just said, thank you, God. Because he, he gave me the transition. That, his words are the transition. I don't have to be the best preacher. I mean, it probably would be better if I were a better speaker. That's, but I don't have to be because his words are the ones that are important. And he just transitioned us to the end of this message. And I was blown away by that. Because in the midst of my trying to figure it out, he intervened and said, here it is. Do this. Here it is. Do this. And so he taught me the lesson that I'm trying to put in my message. It, was, it may not seem awesome to you guys, but it was awesome in that moment for me. Um, he gave just the right words and reminded me that his words are the ones that matter. And if I can't transition perfectly, as long as I'm using his words, you guys will, you guys will hear what you're supposed to hear. Doesn't mean I'm not going to try to get better, but it was a good reminder. God's words are the only ones you can trust. They are the only ones that can hope to turn that restless tongue into something that can speak life. 
We're going to close with Ezekiel 37, if you would turn to Ezekiel 37. We're going to go through a few more, but this is really the, the crux of it. This is going to be the, I hope you understand this part. And this is a, it's an interesting story. So as you turn there, Ezekiel is a prophet from the Lord. In the Old Testament, when people needed to know what words they could trust, a prophet would just repeat what the Lord said. The Lord would say, prophet, say this. The prophet would then go and repeat those words. That's what prophets did. It's Ezekiel 37. Now, the chapter starts off with Ezekiel describing a vision that he's having. This is often how God spoke to a prophet. He gave them a vision of what was going on. And he sees this valley of dried up bones. Valley of completely dried out old bones. And in verse 3, he asks him, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. So he starts him with a really tough question. You're looking at a bunch of dry bones. These aren't people with, you know, just slow heartbeats. These aren't people who you're given mouth-to-mouth CPR to to try to bring back. These are bones that are old. These are bones that are long dried out. And Ezekiel probably doesn't exactly know what the answer to that hard question is. So he says, God, only you know that, right? Sometimes it's a good way to, to uh, cover ourselves. God, only you know that. Pick up in verse 4. The Lord says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make you breathe. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I, and this is Ezekiel talking, prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So what's going on here? This is an interesting vision he's having. Why is God saying, look, here's a bunch of dry bones, and all I want you to do is just repeat after me, and then something will happen? It is really actually that simple. Right now, God is saying to him, look, there's death, speak my words, and look, there's life. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. He says, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as commanded and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up like a vast army. What is God teaching him? Why is he having this elaborate vision? What's trying to be taught here to Ezekiel? God's teaching him literally that This is the power that's available to you when you use my words. If Ezekiel had just used his own words out of his own head, would those bones have gotten up and become people again and become an army? They would not have. He's impressing on Ezekiel, look, this is the power of when you use my words. Even in the worst situation, during Ezekiel's time, the Jews were in Babylon. They were slaves. Their home city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. They had no hope. They were wailing. They were upset. 
And God's saying, look, I'm going to say just the right word at just the right time to you, Ezekiel. And I'm going to teach you the power of my words, and that's going to have an impact on the people. It's going to give them hope. Because what those dead, dry bones were was the nation of Israel. And he's saying, look, I'm going to bring them back. There's a time coming. It's coming soon. I'm going to bring them back. <clears throat> so God is teaching Ezekiel this power and giving hope to the people at the same time. Now we now have the entirety of God's word and we have the Holy Spirit as Christians to lead us to speak messages of power. But the question is, I think more than anything else today about all these words, is do you believe that God can bring those dry bones around you back to life? Do you believe that those broken relationships around you, that you could impact them? Do you believe that those people who are hurting more than anything else, that something you say could change that? That using his words have that kind of power? Because we all know what empty words feel like. When someone's sick and no one knows what to say, and they say, boy, I, I hope it'll be all right. That's, that's not much of a comfort. It's just them trying to cope with you. They're trying to help you. But if you're seeking a way that God can actually use his words to help them, like Alice Moore did with Heather and I, that's when it's supernatural. That's when there's power in those words because they're his words. Do you believe that God's word is still living and active? I hope you do. Now many of us, at some point, and maybe you're at that point, you feel kind of wiped out. Each of us get to a point where you feel kind of wiped out. And so the words that you often speak, at least I do, when I'm wiped out, are things like, it's too hard. I wake up in the morning thinking, this is too hard today. I can't do it after everything that happened last night. You know, a kid was throwing up, and I didn't get any sleep, and I have to go talk to people at work that I could talk to them for six years, and they'll still never get it right. Like, that's the attitude, right? Those are the words that I just put in. Whose words are those? Those are Jeremy's words. What does God have to say when you're overcome? We're going to go through these quick. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My words are like poison. I'm going to feel bad today because it's too much. God's words are freeing. God's words have hope in them. Your words might be something like, I can't do it. It's too hard. This situation is just too hard. I can't deal with it. Those are your words. Those are your poison. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A lot of people's words are, my sin is too much, and God doesn't want me. God can't use me. My sin is too great. I'm too awful. I'm, I'm too, he just can't use me. Those are people's words. God's words are Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your words might be something like, I'm scared. I feel alone. No one loves me. Life isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? Those words can poison somebody. I, anytime anybody's been in that kind of place, you feel it, right? You know how bad that is. Those are your words. God's words are 2 Timothy 1.7. For the Spirit of God gave us, the Spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. When you feel alone, go read that verse. 
He will never leave you nor forsake you. Everyone in this room has the potential to do that. Every one of your family members has the potential to leave or forsake you. God's never going to. God's never going to do that. Speak those words into your life. A lot of people have a health problem, and that is the one thing that gets them, like everything else you can deal with. But when your health is affected, it becomes very difficult because you feel really bad. And the prognosis might not be very good. And that can just overwhelm you. So we can speak words that are harmful to ourselves. And these are God's words about that. Romans 5, 3 through 5, says not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given us. God's talking about a supernatural hope. God's talking about a hope that you can't find anywhere else. When you're sick, when the prognosis is bad, or someone around you is bad, God says, look, suffering's only coming to your life so that you can learn, you can produce perseverance, you can have character, and you can have hope. If you look at it like that, and like the worst thing anybody can do is take this life, when the life you have looking forward to is a life with him in heaven, it's a different hope. That's a different hope. Non-Christians don't have that hope. When they look at feeling sick, what's the hope beyond death? You have hope beyond death. So here, if you want to speak words of life back into your life and back into those around you, you have to start replacing your words with God's words. When you find yourself complaining, when you find yourself with that same old voice in the back of your mind, you have to replace it with God's words. Because Satan's going to use your words against you. God's going to use his words to transform you. Huge difference. It's a huge difference. Just to summarize real quick. God takes very seriously what you say. And when all that leaves your lips and the only words that fill your head are complaining or gossiping or anxieties or angry words or self-deprecating words, you're not going to be useful to speak life into anybody. Because that's all that's going on in your head. You're not going to have anything to bring out to anybody else. If, we fill our, if, we, if that is all we fill our hearts with, right? So we learned last week that it's better to be silent. So there is, a, there is something there. If you need to be silent, that's okay. If you don't have anything good to say, it's okay to say, I just need to be silent. Silence is better than making a mistake with your words. <clears throat> it's, vital, it's vitally important that if we are going to be able to speak supernatural words to anyone else, that we have to first speak them to, to ourselves. And you have to believe that his words have that kind of power. And that you, if you want to be someone who can share words like that, this is the way to do it. It isn't through man's understanding. It isn't through just being really smart as a human being. You can be the smartest guy out there and your words can still be worthless if you don't have God's words in you. Out of all the homework I gave you guys last week, and I know it was a lot of homework, and I know probably... Only one person. I know Dick did some homework. He told me about it. So that's good. He washed the dishes. That wasn't the only homework I gave. <laughs> but I spent, I spent the first five, well, I spent five minutes in the morning, every morning, speaking God's words out loud to myself. 
Out loud to myself, I said, I am full of grace. I have more grace than I can possibly know what to do with because Jesus died on the cross for me and his grace is more than enough, so I should not have any reason not to show anybody grace. And I just had those statements. And I'll tell you what, it did not come easily. Those, you have to first read to have the words. And reading, saying that out loud to yourself is kind of difficult. And on Wednesday, I did not feel like doing it. I did not want to do it on Wednesday. And I did it anyway because I had said I would. But you know what happened by the end of the week? I actually got to see God fulfill the promises that I was speaking out loud to myself every day. I actually got to see him work in my life because I was speaking it to myself. That sounds crazy. But if you don't speak God's words to yourself, then you're what? What are you, Tony Evans? Where he says, just say these positive things about yourself repetitiously and your behavior will change. Has anybody ever tried that? Your words don't have that kind of power. God's words have that kind of power. So my prayer for this group and all Christians in this time of divisive and hate-filled speech, if it's not around you, God bless you, because I feel like all I've been around is divisive and hate-filled speech in the last month. I pray that in that time, Christians will take the time to fill their hearts with the right words you have an opportunity that you may never have again. And that's my challenge to you today. That's my challenge for the week. There's only two pieces of homework in there. Maybe three. Try those out this week. Let's, co let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, play, I pray that you would bless this people. I pray that you would bless this people with the words, the wise words that you have for them. Everyone here has a need, God. Everyone here is hurting in some way. And there are words at the right time that can make all the difference. And I pray that you would impress upon our hearts that that's important. I pray that we would be seeking that every day. That we would find somebody every day that we can change their day with our words. Because that's what, that, we want them to see Jesus and that's what Jesus did. God, I pray that it would be in love. We would always be looking in love to see what the best way to handle a situation is. And I thank you for these people who are willing to come and listen to these words. In your name, amen. Thank you, guys. You're dismissed. Oh, yep, collection. We're going to do a collection for Virginia. I knew I was going to forget that.